Today's guest on this show is Lara Fabri Martinez. I probably already mispronounced that. Um, no, you're actually one of the first people to get that right. So I'm, congrats I'm to you. Incredibly proud. We're off to a strong start. Um, you. Yeah, you're you're one of the two year students at our school, and I was very keen to to speak to to one of you to kind of branch out a little bit because the people I had on before were were really close friends of mine, and I've known them for a very long time. And uh, you're also the reason why we're here in the first place, because you you kind of encouraged me to do this podcast that no one listens to. Um, <laughs> so so yeah, you I'll I'll let you introduce yourself a little bit and explain why your your you where your love for filmmaking comes from. All right. Well, okay. Well, yeah, I'm Lara. Um, yeah, as you said, part of the two year course, um, specialising in script writing and producing. Um, and my love of film actually started quite young, but it gradually went from photography to film. Um, I think I sort of decided that I was going to go down this route at about 11, 12, and then it just it became the one thing that I was interested in, good at, had any time of day for, and here I am. That's basically yeah, it. And, and, and you grew up, because your name suggests you, you didn't, you're not completely English. Did you grow up in England? Well, I was born in England, born in the north of England. Yeah. Um, but I'm half Spanish, half Belgian. So my mum's Spanish, my dad is Belgian. Okay. Uh, but there's a whole little mix in there. There's some Italian and Russian in there as well. And yeah, I don't know, I don't know what else, but it's quite a complicated family tree, I've been told. It, it sounds it sounds it and I mean your your ten your ten list of films couldn't be more diverse we're gonna I was very intrigued to see how far they ranged um and I'm sure that's gonna come up again uh I I let's just dive right in and and the ten films you've given me are like I just said that they're, they're so widely spread throughout like, filming history and different types of films and um the first one is actually the only one who isn't who is older than 10 years uh it's a clockwork orange Yes. Everyone knows A Clockwork Orange. It's Stanley Kubrick's, one of Stanley Kubrick's famous films. Uh, he, almost all his films are famous, really. Um, the story of Alex, a villain who gets incarcerated for rape, theft, uh, ultra-violence, as they call it, um, and then gets put into like a rehabilitation centre. Um, and then they, they try to condition him in prison with this technique to kind of cleanse his, his brain a little bit. Um, it's It's a very bizarre and and dystopian crazy experience as most Stanley Kubrick films are I suppose what yeah take it away why why does this make your list why is this the only one pre-2010 that makes your list well I love Kubrick first of all I just there's something about the way that he's so perverse mm -hmm. it's so controversial and so perverse that it's it's almost whimsical. Almost. 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 Very <laughs> emphasising on the almost. But I just, it, it was one of those films that I watched quite young and it always stuck with me. Um, always stuck with me. And I just, there was something that was very talked about uh, in film class when I was doing GCSE, IB, and it was it kept being brought up and I just sort of, was able to devour it and sort of pick it apart and yeah yeah I mean, I mean it's so cool yeah exactly it's it's so it makes you squirm in so many places doesn't it like the oh, yeah 
you see how his eyes get torn apart and there's so yeah. much there's so much sex and so much like violence in it and and it's it's so unforgiving and, and what fascinated me is that you kind of follow this character who really is i mean he's he's an asshole oh yeah but you and like yet him still, but yeah really? exactly and yet still you hope he does well and it's kind of like an anti-hero for yeah exactly. to the extreme so what, what do you reckon sets this apart from from other Kubrick films, if you say you love Kubrick in general? Why, why this one in particular? I think because it is just so in your face. Like the style is bold, the characters are super bold, the storyline is bold and controversial. And we're, if we're comparing, uh, comparing to something like, um, like Barry Lyndon maybe, for example, yeah. it's completely different. Yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah. Yeah, it's just, you, he has a, set, a certain style, but it is different in every film, and that's something not many people can do. So if he was, for example, if we're looking at some if a Fincher film, I know I'm watching a Fincher film no matter what yeah. I'm watching. Yeah. Because they are kind of the same style, but with Kubrick, I always know the range. There's definitely a range and there's definitely something I can pinpoint. Oh, yes, this is Kubrick. And and this is perhaps his most, would you call this his most Kubricky film? Yeah, I would say, yeah, actually, yeah, definitely. Definitely. He kind of, he kind of tests out all the extremes in this one in kind of any direction. Um, speaking of extremes, the, the, my, my first trivia question is, very, is related to this film. And um, because this film was so so controversial and extreme, it was it was banned in many countries. And my question is, mm. how many countries was this film banned in? Oof. I'll give you to the closest five. To the closest five. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking thirty plus. I'm thinking probably about thirty eight. That's very good. It was forty countries, so you'll you'll Ooh. get that point. Yeah. Okay. I think it got it got unbanned in the UK in like the late twentieth century only. Like it's not been wow. legal for a very long time. It's crazy. Yeah. It's it's no. so it's so brutal. Um, speaking of speaking of styles, the next director on your list has a very specific style of of perhaps writing more than directing. Um, the next film, I was very happy to 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 see that you included two of his films. The first one is Seven Psychopaths. 2012, Martin McDonough. He's my all-time favourite director, so I'm going to try very hard to shut up and let you do all the talking. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, the Seven Psychopaths is the story of of uh, a struggling writer portrayed by Colin Farrell, who gets mixed up in the criminal underworld of LA, and like there's there's the, uh, a side story with a dog that gets kidnapped. Well, that's actually not the side story, but like there's a dog that gets kidnapped by his dumb friend and like they it, it's it's a whole mess of of gangsters and brutality and and bizarre plot lines that like spiral in and around each other yeah what is basically it basically about... described it as a mess and it is it is such a mess but i love a good mess <laughs> it was it's a mess done with panache you know yeah definitely and i think that's kind of what drew me and it, I didn't know until recently who the director was for that. Because mm -hmm. you look at it and you go, mm, I think probably someone like Tarantino would thrive in that sort of, yeah, sort of storyline, that sort of style. And then I yeah. found out who Martin was. I didn't really know much about him as a person. 
Yeah, he's, he's a playwright, isn't he? He was yeah. born in London, but he's actually Irish and wrote like a billion plays and then made four films, a short film followed by three other films and every one of them is amazing. Yeah, I, yeah. like I said, I don't know much about him. I know his films. I also like Love in Bruges. You know, I was trying to juggle which one to choose out of the two, but I think Seven Psychopaths definitely has the um, little bit of overhang to it. I'm interested to hear that because many, I mean, almost all the people, and I have these conversations a lot because I love him as well, and, and In Bruges is probably my favourite film by him. So so I was interested to, to know why you picked this one over In Bruges. I think it's just so much more ridiculous and so much more, like, wacky. And again, it's just that element of this is such a mess, but with the added style, and I sort of thrive in that sort of category. So I like think. the the yeah the, the whole, but then but then how how do you reckon he makes chaos. it? How do you reckon he manages the chaos? Because you still need to follow it, don't you? You yeah. still need to be able to follow the plot. How do you feel he does that? How do you feel he achieves that? I think he was quite smart in the way he did his um his storyline because he did it through an aspiring screenwriter who was also an alcoholic and was telling these sorts of stories as in. It's so conf- it's so confusing, but it's very easily followed at the same time, and that's a nice little pool that I li- like to live in when it comes to films. Yeah, because I feel like he, he, the characters are so like they're they're not they're relatable in the sense of what they're going through. They're not relatable because oh. they're very broken and they're weird and they're they're, they're mm. they often kind of like go overboard. But you know, he's a struggling writer, and and us as filmmakers in particular can completely relate to that. So you can kind of get the struggles they're going through. Speaking, I mean, struggles is perhaps the, the wrong segue, but but I want to I want to talk about your 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 upbringing in in film. You said you 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 started um, watching films or getting into filmmaking when you were like eleven. What were the, kind of the first films that you that made you turn to filmmaking? Oof, that is such a hard question. I mean, to be if I'm being brutally honest, I grew up on Disney. Like, everything in my house was Disney. Um, just brought up around that. But I never really liked the um, the the princess ones, let's say. Like, like, the normal Cinderella, Snow White, Sleeping Beauty type things. I liked the less popular ones, like like Atlantis or Brother Bear or something, something like that that isn't, it wasn't one of the main ones. And I just loved how different everything was. I always thought how great would it be just to be on a set? And I always thought that the coolness of it just kept me sort of focused in a way. What what fascinated you about that idea of being on a set? Why why a film set? Why not? I don't know. There's I mean there's many ways. You know there's theatre. There's there's photography. There's many other things. Why why was film set such a a big thing? I think obviously because of the uh, the magic behind it. That sounds very Disney of me to say. And you can tell I've been raised on Disney, but it is the magic of it and how it can literally make everyone feel something. I think it is different to to photography or to theatre or to art in general, very different. But I think I can I can sit here and say, I'm not really a fan of theatre because I'm not. I'm not really a fan of theatre or musicals or anything like that. 
but with films, I think it's completely different because I genuinely have never heard anyone that doesn't like films because it's an impossible thing to say, I think. Because there's there's like a film for everyone out there. So, exactly. But, but can you? But but so, is it that universal appeal that I that draws so. you? In? Or okay. Yeah, I think so. And and I'm interested to to also know because you said you were kind of you you like the alternative Disney films and yet none of them are, I mean that influence isn't really to be made out in your list of films. Is that because you've developed your your type of film or did you just not like them enough or how did that happen? Um, yeah, I think they they hold like a special place in my heart, but I have grown up and watched other films other than Disney, so I thought. I'll expand the range of it. They're, not, they're like my favourite films to go back on and to feel nostalgic and feel a little bit um, like a feel-good film. That's when I'll go back yeah. to them, really. Like the rainy Sunday afternoon yeah. type of thing. I mean, this this sort of quarantine lockdown is, and then with Disney Plus coming out, is kind of been a little bit a godsend because everyone's <laughs> been doing that and I've definitely been no stranger to it, re-watching all my favourites. Great. which is which is fair which is what everyone's been doing i feel mm-hmm. um the, the next film is as far removed from a disney film as it is it possible to be i think it's it's called blue is the warmest color or the french title la vie d'adele life of yeah. adele um it stars it, it's uh, abdelatif keshish uh, director mm-hmm. most hollywood fans will not have heard of uh, stars Leia Seydu, who obviously is the bigger, the big name, and Adele Exarchopoulos, a girl who's I think half French, half Greek, in the lead. Um, this is kind of it's the weird thing to say, but this came out when I was eighteen, and it, it, I I related to this very heavily. It's also one of my favorite films. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a coming of age story of of this young girl Adele who grows up, struggles with homosexuality, struggles with with coming to terms with with life in general with relationships etc etc they won the pound can in 2013 but it's also very controversial films because the actor uh, the director is known for his very intense way and obsessive way of 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 making this film we've gone from clockwork orange to seven psychopaths to this yeah it's different it's very again this holds quite a special place so Back when, back in the days when I used to do IB and we had to choose an extended essay topic, this was the film that I did my essay on, 4,000 words. Um, I just, again, was able to just devour everything about it. And I took it from a feminist perspective and I can't for the life of me remember the title, but it was exploring um, the relationship between homo and heterosexual relationships uh, from a feminist perspective I think it's around that sort of area anyway and I just was able to devour it and it's front to back a beautiful film what what was the conclusion of that essay what did you what did you find out I can't remember at all to be honest with you I have not (laughs) I have not read that essay since I submitted it about four years ago Okay. So that's a hard one. <laughs> Not gonna lie, I probably should have read my essay before this podcast. <laughs> no, because oh. I mean, I mean, but well then maybe maybe give us your take on what makes this film so good. 
yeah. So again, it's more, it's beautiful to start off with. Cinematography wise, you mean? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And I think because the acting is quite, it's quite raw. So there's these scenes where the two of them are crying and it's just, it's very, feels very real. Like there's just snot dripping into her mouth, like down her face and you're just going, oh, clear yourself up. But it's really kind of pure. Yeah, it feels like a documentary. Really feel, yes, it? exactly. Yeah. You can you can proper feel what they're feeling, and it's a super powerful film. And I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I can't remember if it's the same week that the film was released or the same week that they won the Palme d'Or. Is when gay marriage became legal in France. And I can't remember if it's that week or the other week, but it yeah. does coincide. And I just think, what a beautiful topical win for them yeah i mean i i want to talk about the controversies for a second Mm because because he was he was i mean both actresses have said that they were absolutely pushed to their limits and they almost felt a bit degraded because i i I heard i heard some of the sex scenes and there's very 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 graphic sex scenes very long that yeah and long ones and and very intimate ones that that you you kind of start questioning is this still a proper feature for mm-hmm. doing something very different, um, and and they both actresses have said they they felt a bit degraded at times and they were mm-hmm. pushed so hard and and some of the sex scenes took like ten days to shoot, which is ridiculous if you think about it. Oh. Do do you reckon do you reckon he gets it right though at the end? I think in a way he does take the piss a little bit. It is a very very long enduring. It's not one to watch with your parents. Definitely not. No, I would agree. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's because it was, if I'm not mistaken, this was adapted from a graphic novel. I can't remember I who. So, yeah. I can't remember who the author was, but I remember her being quite angry about these sorts of scenes and how, like, the longevity of it, definitely, and how, how it just sort of bordered on realism to exploitism yeah it's just fully fully exploited them both so I, there, there was that one moment where i think oh i'm a little bit uncomfortable here it's do, maybe a bit too much do you think that works in his favor that you think that works in favor of the film or is it too much full stop yeah i think it gets to a point where it's too much if but you're kind of yeah, yeah but if he had trimmed it down honestly five minutes would have made all the difference. Okay. But you kind of forgive it because it's everything else is yes, also exactly. so elaborate, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. like you said, you know, I think they weren't, they didn't have a makeup artist. They weren't allowed to wear makeup oh, really? on set, which is why all the phlegm is there and all the tears mm-hmm. are real and everything looks so, so natural. I, I also, I also read up on it today and I, I read that they were actually filming out of set so they filmed when she was just sleeping on a train on the way to set and stuff and, and that mm-hmm. adds to it when she wasn't even in character so it, it really feels real and that kind of makes you forget I mean that made me at least forgive it a little bit because mm-hmm. I'm also very like, careful with with directors playing around with actresses especially in a scene like this you know it's it's two women and then male a male director it's always a bit of a of yeah. a difficult one to get right but in this case, you kind of forgive him a little bit because he he goes he goes to that extreme everywhere. Yeah, exactly. I think I think because it is so spread out, all the crying scenes are so long. Yeah. All the all everywhere where there is 
a heightened emotion. It's all so dragged out. So specific, yeah. And because sex is obviously, it involves so much emotion. For him, I would understand his view of also dragging that out and just showing every emotion. Yeah. So I do forgive it. But at the same time, I can see how other people do not forgive it. I makes I, I agree with that. Um, I mean, I, I I definitely recommend people watch this film. It's it's very good. It's long, but it's definitely good. It's worth watching. Yeah. Uh, a film that's much shorter, but also um, concerns uh, relationships is is her, twenty thirteen Spike Jones, um, director of films of of uh, Charlie Kaufman scripts like mm-hmm. Adaptation and Being John Malkovich. Uh, Jacqueline Phoenix, Rooney Mara, Scarlett Johansson in a voice acting role, Amy Adams, Chris Pratt, Olivia Wilde. Uh, very simple premise, actually. It's like set in the near future. Theodore, as his name is, falls in love with Samantha, who is an operating system. So this this was this came out when Siri became a thing and everyone was like, oh, they're so like I can talk to my phone now. And then obviously this was kind of like the logistical, the, the logical first thing that came out of it. Um, someone falling in love with their phone or their operating mm-hmm. system. Um, what? Why did this make your list? Honestly, I think I watched it about three years ago, and I remember just being so surprised at it. It's. It was. I was not expecting to feel so much of this film, and it. By the end of it, I was blubbering, and I was like, "Why am I blubbering at this premise? I shouldn't be." But for some reason, I am. And it just completely submerged myself in it when I did not expect myself to be. So I think it was it was a nice surprise to be so invested in it. Do you know what made you being so, be so invested in it? To, the, to this day, it's still, I can't fathom it, how it was so emotional. It was so emotional. And the style of it all kind of plays in together as well. It was, again, beautifully done. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, but I, it, it looks it so does, yeah, It does escape me how I was blubbering at the end. Completely blubbering. And I was sat there to myself going, oh my gosh, you're so fucking stupid. Why are you crying at this film? You should not be crying at this film. But I was, and it just completely took my breath away do you reckon you'd have the you'd be this immersed if you watched it again have you watched it again since i have not watched it again i have not watched it again you'd feel the same if you if you would i hope so i don't know but i do like having that memory of it and being so immersed in it the first time around that i'm almost quite frightened to watch it again yeah, it's kind of. It, I I understand that when you when you have like that emotional response to a film, then you just don't want to go there again in case it's not quite what it used to be. But then it's even better if you do watch it again and you realise that it does it, the same thing again. Um, my my next trivia question is related to this film. Uh, it was shot in in two in main in two main locations. One of them was LA. Do you know the other one? Oh my god. Um, was it somewhere in Europe? No then I have absolutely no idea where it was filmed. Well, then you have about 30,000 cities to, to guess from. <laughs> um, Christ, I really don't know. It's going to be something like kooky, isn't it? 
Then uh, no, no, no. You, you. It's more. It, it's very futuristic. If I say something, like, if I say something like Tokyo, would that be correct? That would not be correct, but it would be quite close. I see where you were going. It's, it's close. Shanghai. Oh, it's Shanghai. It was, it was, yeah. Okay. And, and I was actually surprised because I didn't. They never mentioned where it's set in the film. Yeah. And and at the end of the film, you can see some Chinese um, street labels, and I think the exit signs in one of the hallway scenes they're they're written in what I assume is Chinese. So then I went to look it up and I, I saw that they shot most of the exteriors in Shanghai because it looks so futuristic, doesn't it? Oh, but it's yeah. not CGI futuristic. It's like it's an actual futuristic. Mm-hmm. I've never been to Shanghai, but it looks it looks very like it looks stunning. 2040 or something. Yeah. And it's beautifully shot. They, <clears> the the uh, Lubeski, I think, is the is it mm-hmm. Lubeski? Is it Van Hoyt? I'm I forget. I think it's Lubeski. Um who who did the cinematography and it's it's amazing the colours of I oh, I'm very drawn to colours. I seem to actually, it's Hoyte van Hoyte, my the guy who did uh, Interstellar and Dunkirk as well. Mm-hmm. Just to get that bit right, mm-hmm. not that I spread false rumours here. Um, <laughs> false rumours, a topic always discussed at Met Film School. Um, the school we, we speak only truths on this podcast. Exactly. So, so let's speak some truths about Met. What made you? What made you go to Met? Do you regret going to Met? What do you love about Met? Talk me through your Met experience. Right. Okay. So a lot of people like to bad mouth Met and I'm not for it because the people at Met don't know what the other schools are like. They're so, so lucky. I was actually at a different university before I went to Met. I was at London South Bank University. I was, again, on the film course and you don't understand how much better a private school that's all putting their energy towards the same thing, the difference in it can do. When yeah. when it's when it's because like South Bank University also does stuff like law and uh, and, and music and drama and other stuff like that, um, and it's just a regular university. But you're kind of left to your own devices too much. You would be given a brief and then, you know, kind of find who you want to work with and you come back and they tell you what's wrong with it, but they don't tell you how to fix it. And it was like that for every sort of piece of assessment. So it's quite impersonal then. It's quite very Very, university-like. Very, very. It was so detached and, you know... Barely anyone on the course wanted to be there. You would ask them, like, how, why do you want to do films? He goes, oh, I couldn't think of anything else to do. And it just became such a problem because it's everything you do is collaborative. But you cannot, for the life of yourself, find someone who wants to be here to collaborate with. And it became really isolating in the end. I don't think I had one friend that was from my own course. So and 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 at Met, there's 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 much more people who love it and who, I mean, it's much less academical by the sound of it. It was more theory than than practice, and we weren't very. It was kind of if you know how to do the practical, great. But for those who don't know how to do it, you're going to be behind and you'll forever be behind because we don't intend on really teaching you that sort of stuff. Yeah. Which is something that Met Films would definitely does. Yeah. It's very so. So is is that why you you joined Met in the first place? Is it more? Like... Yeah. So I, I left after first year. I think it was me and nine other people out of a class of eighty left after the first year. Wow. 
Um, and I did not know what I was going to do because it was just, it was a very stressful time. And my mental health was going all over the place and it was taking a toll on my physical health. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't want to know if I was going to take a break, uh, apply for an apprenticeship or somewhere. And two weeks before Met started, my parents actually found Met and a couple of other schools and I went to go visit straight away. Um, I can just completely fell in love with this place. I went to another place as well, but it seemed a little bit too small, a little bit the opposite of what I've done. But then I came here, did the interview, got in the next day, started like four or five days later, and that was it. It was just such transformation. In in that in that break of of between the two the two unis that you went to, did you ever doubt that film was the right thing for you? Very slightly, but I think it was more I doubted the way I was going to get in rather than if I wanted to do film itself. Okay. I think it was more how am I going to make myself known? How am I going to get my foot through the door without this degree? And it was a very high anxiety stage of my life and I'm glad that's over with and I'm glad it's it's I've got this new such an overwhelming support from Met. I don't think people realise just how different it is at other places. Yeah, it's an interesting point that you you have like an outsider's perspective and an mm-hmm. insider's perspective. And I, I I reckon that would do a lot of people the world of good. Because when you Google best European film schools, Met is at the top of it. Okay. And then here we are and all we do is complain about it's it. So there, it's, it's there for a reason. Yeah. It's definitely there for a reason. And I know people love to complain. I love to complain about stuff. But then you sit down, you face the reality of it and you go, I complain, but it's it was ten times worse. Yeah, it could else. be it could be so much worse. Yeah. Exactly. Such a wholesome thing. Um Ne- the next film is is not as wholesome as as that story. I reckon it's it's the the next two films actually are the ones of your list that I don't know that I haven't seen. So you're gonna have to like explain right. it a bit to me. The the next one on it is The Imitation Game, 2014, by okay. a Norwegian director called Morten Tildum. He is known from uh, Passengers, the Chris Pratt and Jennifer mm-hmm. Lawrence film. <laughs> Um, it stars Benedict Cumberbatch, Kira Knightley, Mark Strong, Charles Dance, for all the Game of Thrones fans out there. Um, set during World War Two, based on a true story, I think, um, of like an English mathematician, mathematical genius who yeah. tries to crack this code from the Germans with other mathematicians. It was on the blacklist and then got picked up and in, ended up getting nominated for an Oscar, so... Oh, I didn't did know quite, yeah, yeah, I I found that out when I did my research. So, mm-hmm. what makes this so special? So, I quite I quite like war films. I know that's not very conventional for a twenty year old girl to like, but there is I have such a history in in my family with war, and my my dad at the moment he's he's uh, making a novel about my grandfather who was in the war. He was an um, a spy. So it's always a very interesting topic that's been circulating in the household. Um, so war films are kind of, I kind of get into. And this one in particular, because it's based on, not on like the fighting or that sort of thing. It's kind of the, um, 
behind the doors what happened uh, based on Alan Turing, who was a, a real man. Yeah. Um, and he was just trying to crack this Enigma code on this huge machine that he built himself and he put all his all his love, all his like work focus into. And it is at the end of the day quite a heartbreaking story because of his sexuality. And it was so frowned upon and it was just at that point considered a crime. And they um what was the thing? It was chemically castrated. I'm probably not saying that right. But it I, was I during that, that. Yeah. during that period of time. And again, it is the emotion, especially how in the film, so there's a kid and it's it, he becomes his only friend. And you can just tell that's how he became himself and that's where he flourished and he became who he was and the person that was not enough for some people, even though he is this great smart intelligent man but people can only see him for his sexuality i mean all, all, there as a crime. all of that is quite um unusual for a war film because it's not your conventional yeah. war film it's not like exactly. you're at the front and you see like gunfights and all that it's it's yeah. all back in england and in, in, in like cellars and basements where they build this machine and stuff yeah is that what makes it so too? is it like the, yeah. the idea of the war going out of the setting more than the actual the the place where it takes place Yes, definitely. I think it, it's nice to see a war film that is um, doesn't rely on the actual war and fighting and focuses yeah. on the logistical side of things and how that sort of worked. And I think when you combine that with such a heartbreaking story of someone who only wanted to do good, it just, I think, checks most of my boxes. I will. I mean, it's on my watch list now, so I'll definitely go and watch it. As is the next one, even though it wasn't exactly a box office success. It's called Shy Rack. Spike Lee, who people will know from Black Klansman, which we'll discuss in a minute, Do the Right Thing, Inside Man, a bit longer ago. Um, uh, it, it stars Samuel L. Jackson, John Cusack, Jennifer Hudson, but none of them are in in um, leading roles. Leading roles are from mm-hmm. a woman uh, in a, occupied by a woman called Tayona Paris, who was in If Beale Street Could Talk, the Barry Jenkins yes. film, and Correct. Nick Cannon, awesome. who people will know from Men in Black Two, where he played a kid. It's a modern day adaption of a Greek play called Lys Lysistrafe. I don't know. I'm probably not pronouncing that Lysistrata, right. Lysistrata, I think it was. I've not seen the, the play, so I'm just going based on what the on film a, is. On the film, yeah. It's, yeah. it's set in, in like, it, it's, it's set in Chicago, Illinois, mm-hmm. and it's it, it's like, it's gang violence, and there's like a kid getting murdered and stuff, so very bizarre, very, very Spike Lee, I suppose. Mm-hmm. What makes yeah. this so special? Oh, the power. The undeniable power of this film i think spike lee does a thing very well he can just display power in such a universal language like he of course as a black man himself wants to give power to the black people he wants to give this power and display it everywhere but i think quite a few films try and do that but not everyone ends up feeling inspired and I think with with someone like Spike Lee 
he just does it so well that you don't have to be black or you for in this case for for this film you don't have to be a woman to feel this sort of power that they kind of exudes from every point in the film I think I just fell in love with that sort of how does he how does he achieve that is it is it through the performances is it through the 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 writing how does he radiate that power I I think he's very meticulous but I just love his scripts his scripts are always very say what you mean and say it well and he definitely says it well every single time okay it's an interesting way it's it's very hard to explain I'm aware I mean that's the beauty of filmmaking isn't it it's kind of yeah. you, you you really there's no point talking about the films you just have to yeah, to watch them to, to feel them watch. yeah you have to experience yeah. them and yet still we love talking about them mm. um I have I have some award trivia for you um it's it's it concerns the imitation game because you already you didn't know that it um it got nominated for an Oscar mm-hmm. uh the the second of it was the second of two films to win best british film and best film at the BAFTAs Okay. Which one was the other one? Which one was the other one? To win both Best British Film and Best Film at the BAFTAs. Oh my god, I've got no idea. Give us a little hint. It was it was in 2010. 2010? Or oh, the film came out in 2010, I reckon the BAFTAs were in 2011. Right. I'm just trying to think back of what films that actually came out in 2010. <laughs> oh my god, you really stumped me. Really it won. Me. It, it went on to win Oscars. the 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 main actor won Oscars. What won the Oscar for best uh, male actor? Oof. Was it? Something like Inglorious Bastards? That's the only thing I've... No, that was, 20, one... that was 2009. It was oh, the King's Speech. Yeah. It was oh, the King's Speech. right, okay. Tom Cooper's King's Speech, who famously then went on to direct Cats, which I... Oh, shambles. I don't um, recommend. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't okay. seen it. I refuse to see it. I mean, you you, you really mustn't. It's fine. Yeah. Um, okay. The next... The next two films. Uh, sorry, no. Let's talk about let's talk about your your plans or like your heritage, really, because you're a producer and you're a writer. The, those two are usually connected with directing, but that's not what interests you at the moment, if I understand that correctly. Yeah, I just never got into it, into directing. I don't know what it is about it. Maybe I will in the future, but there's not been like in class. I never really just shone in directing or just particularly enjoyed it it's very strange because they are so interlinked in a way yeah so so, so maybe let, i let's don't think go. i've explored it enough okay i mean that's fair you admit you probably get that chance as well what let's talk about producing what is it about producing that makes it that that's so appealing to you <laughs> i just love being a little organized sod to be honest <laughs> Which isn't exactly like I mean, you 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 clearly love filmmaking and you love cinema, mm-hmm. and then here you are telling me that you love being organised and doing yeah. kind of all the administrative stuff of it rather than telling the story. I mean, you're right as well, which kind of helps obviously the other claim. But is it is that the only reason why you love producing? Because you like being organised and 
Yeah, it's, I think it's the mentality of like being part of a plan, you know? Yeah. I can't really explain it too well, but it is like being part of this, like, like you're building an empire type vibe. And that's, again, it brings such a, like a, like an importance and a power and such a, like a drive to do well. That's kind of how I can explain it. I can't really <laughs> go into it that well. But, so, yeah. so, and, and in the future, are you, are you planning on doing both or is, are you, do you think you'll eventually kind of gravitate towards either writing or producing? Yeah, I don't know, to be honest. I mean, I've done way more producing than I have writing. I think with stuff coming up like grad, I'm definitely taking the, the writer's approach. Yeah. And I definitely, I think I enjoy writing more. But I've done more of producing. That's why I know I'm better at it right now. But we'll, I guess we'll see, to be honest. I mean, I would love to work in like a writer's room. Like that one little bit that I did of writer's room for, for Episodic was just, yeah. I loved that atmosphere and that group collaboration that you could just see that everyone was like on fire of things that they were thinking of. And it just, it really excited me. I think that's what's so exciting about writing. Right. So, so you're, you're going to, I mean, you still have time on your side, obviously. Yeah, exactly. You want, and you can always do both, you know. Yeah. There's no right and wrong in this glorious in industry. <laughs> Speaking of glorious, the next film is glorious. Uh, it's probably, it's one of my favourite films. It's definitely on my top ten as well. It's called Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Yeah. 2017. Again, Martin McDonough. Um, Frances McDormand won the Oscar. Sam Rockwell won the Oscar for this. It's, it stars Woody Harrelson and Peter Dinklage. Again, for the Game of Thrones fans that aren't listening. Um, it's the story of, of, of a woman called Mildred Hayes who seeks justice for her daughter's murder or rather wants them, wants the local authorities in Ebbing, Missouri to investigate her daughter's unsolved murder case. Mm -hmm. um, and it's this, and it's classic Martin McDonough. It's probably his most refined film to this point, the most competent and confident film to the, uh, to, to date. I will, you will argue that, but I'm, mm. I'm just saying it now. Um, <laughs> what, what do you love about it? I think, again, it just exudes real, like the ending, like it's, you don't catch them every time. And I think too many films, too many shows just, I'm not going to say take the easy route out, but have a person, have the culprit, have it all kind of signed, sealed, delivered, this person did it, put them in jail. Yeah. And I like that they took it and they goes, well, that's not what happens nine times out of ten, really. And we're not showing it enough. I think I just loved that. And it was because it's in such a small town, if I remember this, this happened yeah. in. It really so, plays there. Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up in a small village, like currently where I'm quarantining in. And it's, it is that sort of vibe. Like, what if this sort of thing happened that took over the entire town? And again, it's just, a, it's a lovely premise, but it's, a, it's such a real and horrible reality of where we are in the world. Yeah, in a weird way, the 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 premise isn't really what the story is truly mm -hmm. about. Like, it, exactly. it, it, at one point, it stops becoming about who 
killed her daughter and and why and and how but it becomes about will she get what she wants will she get heard will she get the authorities to actually do something mm-hmm. and then the end is open in the sense of that we don't know who murdered the i mean we're spoiling it here so apologies to everyone who hasn't seen it, <laughs> yeah. but really it's your mistake because it's a brilliant film mm-hmm. um so and in, in the end it's kind of they leave that open the, the big murder mystery but then she does get heard and then she does team up with the local policemen and they drive into the sunset together to kind of then investigate the true murder so mm-hmm. yeah I, I mean I, I mean I love he likes his open endings in Bruges has one as well and most of his yeah. films have like an open an open mm-hmm. ending yeah um the next film does not have an open ending uh it's Black Klansman another Spike Lee joint as he likes yes. to call them uh Ron Stallworth is a black police officer and Flip Zimmerman is his Jewish mate uh, they live in Colorado Springs in the 1970s, and they infiltrate the local Ku Klux Klan. It stars Such a great John, story. Yeah, it stars John David Washington, who will be in Chris Nolan's next film, Tenet, and Adam Driver, who people know from Star Wars, or more importantly, Marriage Story, slash Francis Ha. Uh, another beautiful film, another very uh, Spike Lee-y film, in the sense of that it's very, got a very clear message. The themes are very Spike Lee. He's um he's very on the nose with his message, but very subtle in his delivery, I think. Mm-hmm. What makes you love this film so much? It's just such a unique premise. It's so cool. Like, if I'm not mistaken, because I think Jordan Peele is the producer, and well, one of the producers, and he got um spike lee to get involved just by saying you know black man infiltrates Ku Klux Klan and he was like you're in I'm in like totally totally in and that was it that's just I think that was amazing that all you needed was those few words to grab him in and it lives up to its expectation oh it does yeah I mean it stays it stays interesting throughout Mm -hmm. is it um is it is it the premise or is it the delivery or is it the directing that that sticks out or is it the combination of all of them i think it's probably the combination of all of them but i think the delivery of how it's there's this little bit of added humor like especially when they're talking on the phone and he's like oh i'm i can tell that you're not a black man by the way you talk and it's just kind of like wow and that's sort there. of yeah african-american yeah right. it's just we love a bit of irony here we love a little bit of that. <laughs> and I mean, the film, the film seeps of it, doesn't it? And yeah, you can just tell Spike Lee is a little sasspot, and I love that about him. Yeah. I mean, the, the, yeah, this film is it, treat, treat, it literally seeps of, of that, and and I mean, they he, I think he, he won his Oscar for it as well for yes. best adapted screenplay, and and deservedly yeah, so. It's it's so bizarre that it's a true story. Like you, you watch this and you think that that's not that can't be right. I know. But it I is didn't know. True. I didn't yeah. know until until I'd watched it completely yeah. and I thought wow okay that is imagine hearing that story from the, oh, no, they've got the grandfather and be like whoa that's an ultimate granddad story right there. it really is it really truly is and a great film to to boot mm-hmm. um I want, I want to talk about the future because we we're all obviously stuck here and we we get plenty of time to think about our future um you you said you want to you want to pursue both producing and writing um what what do the next five to ten to 15 years bring for you yeah when we have in that lecture that was a little bit of anxiety wrapped 
with, hey, what are you going to do in the future? <laughs> you know, what are you going to do in five, ten years? And it's just like, if we're talking realistically, we don't know when we're going to finish this course, like be able to finish complete and then be off in the world. If we're Yeah, free, even knowing what time of the year is difficult. Exactly. Don't know where I'm even going to be living, never mind knowing what I'm going to do. So that's a little bit of thought. But I would like to hope that there is a writer's room in there for me at some stage because I think that's a quite an exciting environment for me to to be in and and what kind of films or what kind of of series or stories would you want to write for because it's very difficult to fathom from your list of films because they're so they're such a broadly <laughs> spread selection so what is it that you yourself want to write about <sighs> I don't know. I mean, I think I do well except for horrors. Anything yes. but horror, I think, um, can sort of thrive in. Like, I've got like, his, I've got that, like, little history, like, if, if it's about war or something like that, like, I know enough about it, like, I enjoy that sort of thing. I love drama, thriller, crime, comedy. I think comedy's quite a hard one to, to nail, but I don't think it's impossible. I think it'd be a challenge for me, which would be lovely. I'd love a challenge. Um, so my my grad is actually a dramedy, so a drama comedy. Yeah. So it's gonna be it's gonna be very interesting to write like that because I've never written like that before. I think drama is quite easy to write. So I think we as people like to to thrive in the negativity. We like to. It's easier to write, definitely. But I love the challenge. So yeah, anything except for horror, I think I could do. <laughs> Not to toot my own horn. No, no, but I mean that—that's one thing I suppose that's that's portrayed in your list as well. It, it's very clean of of horror films. It's, there's no horror. Mm -hmm. It's horrors in there. Yeah. So I suppose I could have taken that from your list. What about producing? Do you is there? Is there stuff that you like producing? Are you would you like to produce like I don't know superhero films with lots of CGI and and green screen, or would you be more down to do low budget on the street documentary style stuff? I don't really mind as long as I'm interested in the actual story. I, d I don't. I think I just find it very. If I don't care about the premise, I just I'll find it very difficult to want to do stuff for your film. But as long as I'm intrigued by it, I don't think it matters what it's about. As long as I'm intrigued, I will be there and push it and try and get it to succeed. And yeah. what, what intrigues you about a film then? What does a film need to have to intrigue you? God, I just think it's some sort of uniqueness. Or if I'm listening to a director, so from our pitches or something like that, we're all just sort of listening to idea after idea. And if there's something that just sort of strikes me in their like delivery, like I can see that they want it. I can see they're going to put the work in. I can see they're going to be a good fit for me to work with. And their idea is super cool. The style is cool. And they seem like they've got their head straight. That makes me want to jump and say, I want to be your producer. That's it. Yeah, okay. Like quite a, uh, an originality to it. Yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. There's got to be that little one bit, something that's unique. And if it 
pulls at my little heartstrings because I'm quite an emotional person, then I'll go for it. If it's something that'll probably make me cry of happiness or sadness, I'll probably love it. Okay, which is a perfect segue, a really perfect segue into this next, into the last two films on your list, because they really could not be more different. Mm-hmm. And and I, I assume one of them definitely made you cry, and the other one, I really want to know if it did. The first one I'm talking about is Capernaum, and I'm 100% sure I mispronounced that, because it's a, it's a, an Arabic film set and and written and from Lebanon mm-hmm. um, by a woman called Nadine Labaki. Mm-hmm. This film won the jury prize in Cannes when it came out in 2018. Uh, and it's it's the story is quite simple. It's saying this little kid, I think he's 12, yeah, who sues his parents for putting him into the world. And it's shot without any kind of professional actors. And the, the, the director gives uh, a little cameo. She has a little cameo and she's the only one with actual professional acting experience. Everyone else is just taken off the street. I think the, the protagonist, the, the Zayn, as his real name is as well, he's a Syrian refugee. So it's literally like real people in, in little brackets. Um, very it's it, it's very real and it's very much like a bit like la vida del in, in the sense of that it's very documentary style you feel like you're watching a documentary when you're watching this film um yeah talk to me about it what what do you love about it yeah i'm this i'm not gonna brag too much but i actually saw this at Cannes, <laughs> so it was it was quite an unreal experienced enveloped with this like beautiful emotional film I definitely cried at the film definitely it was just this this boy oh my gosh he's such an amazing actor but I didn't know he wasn't an actor and that's really shocked me but he was so compelling to watch he's and amazing just, he was just my heart just went out to him completely and it's like he's running away from his negligent parents and committing crimes because he doesn't know what to do he's a 12 year old boy of course no one knows what they need or want to do at 12 and it is just so like it was such an experience I think it was the perfect film for me to go and see because I saw other films and none of them quite stayed with me as much as that film did yeah, it so, really yeah. is. I mean, the the guy is the guy is is amazing, and I I actually shot a film in the Middle East in twenty nineteen mm-hmm. last year with also a child actor, and and I thought he did really well as well. He was even younger than 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 Zayn was, but I know how bloody difficult it is to get good performances out of kids because mm-hmm. they you know they have ups and downs and and more so than adults do, and they're inconsistent. And he's you know he's never been on a film set before, and and shooting in the Middle East is difficult enough without having to shoot with kids and there's also a second kid in there there's a little baby in there that he looks after and even the little baby's performance is amazing because we we had a little baby as well and it was just crying all over the place we had to cut it from scenes because it was so upset all the time it was it's just an insanely difficult thing to do and every scene seems perfect and seems natural and seems Mm -hmm. like rehearsed but not scripted in a way it's it's just it's just amazing yeah it was definitely again it was just it felt very raw and it was something it was again added to the experience that oh my gosh I'm at Cannes and this is such an amazing film 
of course that experience stayed with me and it just it, it made it into the top 10 for, for, for that reason but it was like I was you know second row like on the edge of my seat watching it the whole time just going whoa whoa and I just yeah I was entranced by it it really it really is it really is beautiful with the world that it, it it sets in everything feels so real you feel like you're there and I mean I I definitely I fell in love with it as well when I watched mm-hmm. it I hadn't heard of it before um before you 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 shared sent it to me on your list and I watched it for this podcast and I, mm-hmm. I loved it so much it was beautiful oh I do have some trivia about this film as well um and the question is how long did they shoot this for oh my gosh um I'm gonna go I'm thinking it's probably quite a while I'm gonna guess somewhere like two years. Ooh, okay, no, that was that's that's too long. It's it was six too months. long. Yeah, right. The okay. kid would have been like much older, but after two years, I reckon. No, they shot this over six months, and I our, our film that we shot was two months, and I I was like dead afterwards, and I can only imagine what they must have gone through <clears throat> shooting this film for for six months at a time in that environment it must mm-hmm. be a living hell, but. Nadine Labucky did it. Um, she she gained like she she got really successful with Caramel in two thousand and seven, her like debut film. Um, she's not yet fifty, so she's quite young, and I'm really intrigued to see what she's going to come up with next because this felt like her passion project because everything mm-hmm. out of this is real and from her own experiences. And so we'll see where she goes next. Um, the next film won't go anywhere. There won't be a sequel. Um, it's it's the most far withdrawn film from Capenham that could be yeah. and I was amazed to see it on your list and I'm really intrigued to hear where this fits in it's Avengers Endgame yeah the Russo brothers uh, who also did the the Infinity War the one before this um I'm not a superhero fan or like a Marvel Universe fan per se but I I went to watch this obviously it's the highest grossing film of all time it had like a massive budget why the hell is this here because if it sticks out like a sore thumb <laughs> yeah I'm quite a nerd when it comes to Marvel stuff. And it's n- not many people know that about me or think that I should be, but I am quite... I think, you know, the cast does help a little bit. It would. Yeah, it would, definitely. Um, but I just... I think there's something about Marvel that when they produce a film, I just... I know I'm going to have a good time. It's a guaranteed good time I'm gonna ha- be coming out of the cinema in a better mood and I love that little guarantee from it okay so it's, it's, yeah, it's like I, it's a solid yeah. eight out of ten every time exactly. oh, yeah yeah <laughs> but like I just I picked that one because of all of them you know that it's got everyone in it's it's the closing sort of chapter for everything it's just little like like a nice little send-off yeah, unlike unlike previously mentioned Game of Thrones, this franchise nails their ending. Mm. They yeah. probably end on a, on the highest note. Yeah, I, yeah. I actually, I did I did weep a little bit, not too much, but I have rewatched it in the last couple of weeks. And yes, again, I still weeped at it, and I was like, right, okay, I need to get my shit together. <laughs> but there's just some there's just something about Marvel that I just really love. I think it's such a little inner nerd thing in me that I just really like. And I thought, you know, how cool would it be to be have that sort of influence over people? 
I mean, yeah, it's, it's you know, it's, it's got, it's, this is the, as worldwide as a film will ever get, it's, it's everywhere. And yeah, yeah. Rightly so, with those names attached. Lara, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Uh, our four listeners, me. I'm sure, or three listeners, we said, um, are surely very happy to have heard from you. Um, yeah, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure and hopefully see you soon on the other side of this yeah. corona trap. <laughs> Stay safe.